much, ladies, and thanks to our praise team. Thank all of you for taking part in worship. Well, I forgot my watch this morning, but <laughs> but um, no, I've, I've checked. I thought Terry might have ran it forward about 10 minutes, but he didn't. So I've asked Judy three times, what time is it? What time is it? She said, you want my watch? And I said, I have one here. If you brought your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. This morning I want to share a sermon entitled, Dealing with Trials. Dealing with Trials. I don't know about you, but I needed this sermon. And so... Uh, Sometimes, uh, well, every, every sermon I have to listen to it first, and then I get to share it with others. And so God laid this on my heart, dealing with trials. James 1, and we're going to read verse 1 through uh, verse 8. Did I mess you up, Chris? We're good. I shared... Uh, first four verses and the first five, but I've changed my mind. I'm going to read all eight. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with, not, or with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind." Verse 7, For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to come and to worship you and now to hear your word. I thank you, Lord, for each person that's here today. Take your word, I pray, and as it goes forth, apply it to our hearts. May we be not only hearers, but doers of your word. I lift up every person here. I don't know what trial or test problem they may be facing today, but Father, I know that you're the miracle worker. You're the way maker. Lord, I just pr I pray now that you'll begin to uh, make yourself known in our own personal lives. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you study any passage, the first thing you have to do really is to determine who the writer is addressing. So if you're taking notes this morning, point number one, we want to look at those to whom James is addressing. Those whom James is addressing. Notice verse one, he says, James, a bondservant, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered Abroad, So James is writing to the 12 tribes of Israel. 
which he says is scattered abroad. Scattered abroad, English word. Greek word for that is diaspora. It's where we get the word dispersion, English word. So this is about the diaspora, the, the dispersion of the twelve tribes. And so he's speaking to those, teaching those who have been scattered abroad. A word used for the Jew who lived outside of Palestine among the Gentiles. So uh, the Jews were scattered from their land in 722 B.C. and it continued for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So the point being, he's speaking to these who are people that are scattered abroad. The word picture is one who is scattering seed. Uh, the other day, I drove by Randy Ergel's house, and he was outside, and he was scattering seed. He wasn't broadcasting his seed, but he had this seed scatterer, this uh, pouch, and he had it hanging on his shoulder, and he had a crank, and I could see all when he would walk, and crank that, that bag, that seed would just go, it'd go in a perfect, it'd kind of go in a perfect semicircle. He was sowing seed. That's the word picture you have here where God's people had just been scattered abroad to every place. So the word diaspora means to scatter. It means to spread around. And so after Stephen was put to death in Acts chapter 8, the Christians in Jerusalem were scattered throughout the Roman world. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 that all except the apostles, all men in the church, so after, uh, after the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus, the church, all the church except the apostles were scattered throughout the world. Uh, diaspora, they were scattered everywhere. So the Jews ended up everywhere in the known world at that time. And so the point is God permitted this test. This diaspora was a test. It was a problem. He permitted this test, this trial, on the church for a purpose. Keep that in mind. When you have a test, when you have a problem, when you have a, pur a, a purpose, uh, when you have this issue going on in your life, test, a trial, problem, God has a purpose in that. Now don't forget that. If you forget what you're going through has a purpose, you're going to have a hard time in whatever you're going through. And so this dispersion of the church in Jerusalem led to the spread of the gospel throughout the known world, throughout Rome. The point is, James was writing to those who had been scattered abroad, and because of that, they were suffering persecution. They, they were not at home. They were scattered abroad. And so first you have the recipients of the letter, those scattered abroad about or abroad. But secondly, you have the, the, the assurance of trials. This is found in verse 2. Notice verse 2. James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. James says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Fall into could be translated as encounter. Have this joy about you, and we'll talk about that later, when you encounter these tests, these trials, these problems. It's the same term used in the story of the Good Samaritan, of the man who fell 
among thieves. James says, basically, my brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You remember the man who fell among thieves? He's walking down the road. It's a beautiful day, no doubt. No problems whatsoever. He rounds a curve, and it all breaks loose. He's robbed, he's beaten, he's bruised, he's left for dead. Notice all those various trials. Robbery would have been enough, but no, he had more than one. He was beaten. Well, that would have been, two in itself would have been bad, but he had another one. He was bruised. And then that was what was really bad, another trial, he was left for dead. Not just one, but possibly four. These were various trials. The word, Greek word, is where we get the English word variegated, or, or multicolor, or variety. He, had, he says, don't be surprised. Count it all joy when you experience all of these different types of problems. I don't believe we all have the same problem in here today. I believe there are all different types of problems. I don't believe that we have just one certain problem. I believe we just experience different ones perhaps throughout the week. There are various, there's variegated, there's multicolored problems. I remember growing up as a child. I got a long memory. <laughs> I remember growing up, we had these Crayola, crayons. And we had the six-pack, and then there was an eight-pack, and then there was a 12-pack, and then there was a 24-pack, and, and then there was a 72-pack, and then they had these 144-packs. All these different colors. James says, listen, that's like your trials. It's not one kind, but you got so many. The point is, God was allowing them to experience a variety of various trials to strengthen and to mature their faith. That's why you have your problems. That's why I have problems. God permits those where we can mature our faith. Now listen, to the Jew, their various trials, God was packaged in this thing called persecution. That was their trial. They were being persecuted. But our trials today may be packaged as a loss of a job, or separation, or a divorce, our trouble with children, a financial loss, an illness, a death, a, a relational problem with which we have very little control over. Those are the type of problems we have today and many others. The point is, God's people will experience trials. Notice what he said, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall, not if you fall. Somehow people think that when you become a Christian, you're not going to have any problems. No, you're going to have problems, probably have more problems when you're a Christian. The devil will attack you more. But mark it down. You know, you're going to experience problems when we fall. Not if we fall, but when we fall. So as a believer, you can count on it. Mark it down. You can, you can count that you're going to have tests and trials and problems. You're going to have them. The preacher's going to have them. So mark it down. They're coming. You know, everybody wants to be immune from this coronavirus. We're waiting for a vaccine. Guess what? There's no vaccination for problems. We're going to have them. Can't get rid of them. Nothing you can take, no pill that you can take, nothing you can do 
because we're going to have problems. So first, to whom it's written, scattered abroad. Then you have the assurance of trials. And notice something else. You have the reaction to our trials. So how do you handle them? How do you handle them? Well, from observing as a pastor for over 40 years, most people handle their problems in the flesh. Let that sink in. Most people walk away from their problems. Some people quit when they have a problem. I was looking for this job when I found it, and I'll just, you know, I'll find another one. I'll just quit. It's easy to do that. It's easy to walk away. Some preachers walk away. Have a difficult time in the church. Hey, hey, leave it to someone else. Go on about your business. They'll pick it up. That happens. Some throw in the towel. Some quit. Quit their job. Quit their marriage. Quit their children. I mean, some even resort to suicide. Can you imagine? James 1 verse 2 says... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, let's, let's look at this pretty deep. Now, what does that mean? Just laugh about your problems and go on? That's not what he's talking about. My goodness. He says, look, if you will, in verse, um, in verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy. Um, count, consider, a better word. Consider, uh, evaluate your problem. Count it all joy. So in the midst of your trial, respond with a deliberate, intelligent appraisal of your situation. Stop, pause, and think about what you're going through. Did you know that we're told that 90% of getting through whatever problem you're going through, 90% of that is going to be mental and spiritual. 90%. Mental and spiritual. So we have to stop, we have to look at our experience from God's perspective and recognize that the trial is not a happy experience in itself, but it means there's something very valuable that's going to come about because of it. Get that again. When we look at our problem, it's not a happy experience. But we look at it from God's perspective, and we recognize this trial is not this happy experience in itself, but the means of producing something very valuable in our life. So whatever you're going through right now, hold on, stop, recognize, evaluate. It's not happy, but something good's going to come from it. A happy experience. guy by the name of Spiros Zahides, I believe is the way you pronounce it. He's, he explained the word here, consider, rather should be translated think or think forward. Think forward, stop and think forward. Uh, consider, regard. And so as you live in the present, going through what you're going through, consider the future. Think forward to the future. Gloom now, but glory in the days to come. Amen? Gloom now, not a happy time, but glory 
in the days to come. Jesus taught that same kind of joy. That's what he's speaking about. That's when he says, when he says, count it all joy. It's gloom now, but it's going to be joyful in the days to come. And Jesus taught this. Look at Matthew chapter um, 5. Matthew 5. And, and uh, Ms. Chris will have that. Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets which were before you. Gloom now, joy later. Paul experienced the same thing. He refers to it in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in our... What? Tribulations. That happy joy in time of trouble and problems and sorrows and tests. So when the apostles were beating, were beaten... Because of their testimony for Christ, they went out. And Acts chapter 5, verse 4, says this, Acts 5, verse 4. While it remained, it was... Let me see if I got... Oh, I'm, I'm wrong page. Acts 5, verse 41. I'm sorry. So they departed. After they were beaten, not a pleasant experience, they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had counted, that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Gloom now, joy later. Peter believed that this was kind of unique joy, and this joy was possible. First Peter chapter one. First Peter one, verse six and seven. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little season. If it need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes through it, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory and the revelation of Jesus Christ. We'll turn over to uh, chapter 4, 1 Peter, verse 12 and 13. Chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which, you try, which try you as though some, through some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when His glory is revealed may also be glad with exceeding joy. My goodness. Gloom now, but glory later. found something... Um, in a book written by Dr. David Jeremiah, and it was a quote from Philip Yancey. And this, this is good, so listen. He says, by those words, rejoice and be glad, be joyful. The apostle did not intend a grin and bear it or act tough like nothing happened attitude. No trace of those attitudes can be found in Christ's response to suffering or Paul's. Nor is there any uh, masochistic hint of enjoying pain. 
quote, rejoicing and suffering, end of quote, does not mean Christians should act happy about tragedy and pain when they feel like crying. Such a view distorts honesty and true expression of feelings. Christianity is not phony. The Bible spotlight is on the end result. Don't miss this. It's on the end result. The use God can make of suffering in our lives. The Bible spotlight is on the end result, the use God can make of suffering in our lives. Before He can produce the result, however, He first needs our commitment of trust in Him, and the process of giving Him that commitment can be described as rejoicing. Take it, Lord. It's yours. It's terrible now, but I am happy in Jesus because I know it's going to be okay. It's going to work out good. It's going to be great. Gloom now, hallelujah later. It's going to work out. Dr. R.A. Torrey, he said this, and i got to hurry. One of the great teachers, founder of Los Angeles, uh, Biola University, he and Mrs. Torrey went through a time of great heartache when their 12-year-old daughter was accidentally killed. The funeral was held on a miserable rainy day, and they stood around the grave, and they watched as the body of their 9-year-old little girl was put away. And as they turned away, Mrs. Torrey said, and I quote, I'm so glad that Elizabeth is with the Lord and not in that box. Gloom now, <laughs> but joy later. To whom it is written, scattered abroad. The assurance of the trials, our reaction to the trials, the result of the trials. Look at verse 4, if you will. Verse 4. But let patience, here's the result. Let patience work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let patience work. Notice verse 3. I left the verse off. I'm sorry. Verse 3 says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so the result of trials, number one, testing produces patience. Now, patience here is not a passive term. It's, patience is not a passive term, but it's an active term. It's not whatever happens, happens. That's not what we're talking about, patience when you're going through a trial. But patience is a tough, strong resolve in the very midst of very difficult circumstances. I'm going through this, and I resolve that I'm going through this. I'm going through it. Patience is better translated as steadfastness, perseverance, brave endurance. James chapter 5 Turn over a couple chapters in verse 11. Notice what he says, James 5, verse 11. Indeed, we count them a blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job, and you've seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. If, you're, if God's going to work out what he has in store for you, you have to be patient, steadfast, endure it, because God has a purpose. Don't quit. Don't give up. Why is that? His purpose won't be fulfilled in your life. David Jeremiah in his book, What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do, he says this, Trials in the lives of believers refine their faith 
so that they're, they're, so that the false is stripped away from the genuine faith continues to trust God. So it defines our faith when we go through a trial. He says, patience is not just to bear things, but to but turn them into greatness. William Barclay, I like what he said. He said, the thing that amazed the heathen in the centuries of persecution was not that martyrs died grimly, but they died singing. It always amazed me when you would see these, these during the Iraq war, and they would behead those people in those orange jumpsuits. Nobody said a word. Nobody screaming and hollering and crying and shouting and don't do it and all this. Well, they just marched out there and bent their head over. Imagine that. That's what amazed the persecution of the, the persecutors when they persecuted the Christians, the martyrs died. They died singing. So the result of our trial will produce patience, steadfastness. Therefore, when patience has done its work, it causes the believers to be perfect, and the next word, if you'll notice, it causes us to be complete. Perfect to fully develop. Causes us to be perfect, not sinless, but to fully develop. Here's the point. Without the trials, without patience and the trials, we've, we haven't fully developed and matured as a Christian. You have to have patience before you have completeness, full maturity as a Christian. You see, we have to learn to persevere trials so that the work God has begun will be brought to completion. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, you know, he asked for this thorn in the flesh three times to be removed. And uh, God didn't remove it, but God says, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And so we persevere in our trials so that the work that God begun in us may bring about completeness. And so the trial brings patience, the trial brings perfection, the trial brings completeness. That word completeness refers to something that has all of its parts. Therefore, it becomes a whole. Judah, our little granddaughter, she loves to put puzzles together, and she'll come up with a puzzle missing. I mean, a piece of that puzzle missing. It's not complete. It's not complete. It's not complete. It's possible for Christians to be complete, fully mature in some areas of their life, but missing the ingredient of steadfastness, patience in their trials will hinder them from being mature in the Lord. You understand what I'm trying to say? Just missing that, just missing that patience will hinder you from being spiritually mature in the Lord. That's what he says. Paul says, listen, your trials are going to bring about patience, it's going to bring about perfection, and it's going to bring about completion. So to whom was it written? Those scattered abroad. The assurance, the reaction to the trials, the result of the trials. I'm closing with this. Uh, what's the resource in their trial? Who do they go to? Look at James chapter uh, 1. He says, if any of you... Verse 4, 
but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Kind of interesting, what he does here, uh, he takes that word lacking in verse 4, and he brings it down in verse 5. Where do you turn? I mean, when you experience a problem, where do you turn when trials come? Where do you turn? Who do you go to? You go to a best friend, go to the preacher, you go... Who, who do you go to? A guidance counselor, a good counselor, Christian counselor? Who do you go to? Where do you turn when trials come? Dottie Rambo, I ran this off. She says, where do I go when there's nobody else to turn to? Who am I going to talk to when nobody wants to listen? Who do I lean on when there's no foundation stable? I go to the rock that I know it's able. I go to the rock. Where can I hide till the storms have all passed over? Where can I run when, there's, when those winds of sorrow are threatened and there's, no, and there's a refuge in the time of tribulation when my soul needs consolation? I go to the rock. I go to the rock of my salvation, going to the stone that the builders rejected. Run to the mountain. The mountain stands by me. When all the earth around me is sinking sand, on Christ the solid rock I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I go to the rock. Where do you go? When you have a problem. I found this little answer to that. It says, how do you go on when you... You know, years ago I preached a sermon. How do you go on when you can't go on? I thought of that. This says, a prayer to be said when the world has gotten you down and you feel rotten and you're too doggone tired to pray and you're in a big hurry and beside you're mad and everybody else at everybody else, what do you do? You holler, help. You go to the rock. Most of us, being honest, most of us try everything else before we admit that we need any help. You know why we're so full of pride that we think we can handle it all by ourselves? James takes the word lacking in verse 4. He moves it down in verse 5. He reminds us that if you're going to find help for your troubles, you first have to realize that you lack sufficient wisdom to handle your trouble. That's what he said, verse 4. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking, nothing. If any of you are lacking wisdom, you don't know how to figure out what you're going through. So he reminds us, if you're going to find help for your trouble, first have to realize that you lack sufficient wisdom to sort it out. So here's the point. The only way that you'll ever be able to understand your problem and respond to them in a proper way is to ask for the wisdom of God, and God alone can get you out of your problem. One of the darkest times of my life, I'll close with this. As a pastor... It was April the 27th, 2011, when an EF5 tornado came through here. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know when to do it. I remember crying out to God and I'm saying, God, what did Moses do when he faced all his problems with three and a half million people? How, how do we move on? How do we go across a sea? 
How can we get the waters to stand back? How can we do that? Lord, tell me the secret of Moses. Then I heard this little still, small voice. Simple. He said, Moses went to the mountain. Remember that? You know, Moses, they were encamped, and every time somebody said, hey, there goes Moses, and they'd look out the tent, and oh, Moses, he'd be going to the mountain to meet with God. And there he'd go back to the mountain. They'd see him, they'd see him make trip after trip after trip to the mountain, receiving instruction from God, receiving direction from God, re- receiving encouragement from God. So the point is, in troubled times, Moses went to the mountain. What did Jesus do when he was tested? What did he do when trials came? What did he do when people just they couldn't move? They were so close to him and wanting to be healed and wanting this, their child healed, and wanted a crippled healed and wanted sight given to the blinded. What did he do? He just peeled away and he went to the mountain. He went to a quiet place to get along with God. And God said, Sammy, trials and tests and problems are going to come. And the only way you can deal with those is to go to the mountain. He's the only one that has wisdom to get you through it. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what test you're going through, what trial you're experiencing. But I suggest to you the wisdom you need will be found when you spend time at the mountain.